Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Many farmers and agronomists across Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan have relied on the tri-state fertilizer recommendations for corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa since it was published in 1995. Farming has changed in numerous ways, as many of you are aware, in the last 25 years. And while crops still have the same basic nutrient needs and uptake, new hybrids and varieties are a lot more efficient at nutrient use. And we've also changed our outlook on nutrient application due to some discoveries with nutrient movement and impact through our soils and waterways. So taking all of this into consideration, a number of individuals across the tri-state area took on the challenge of updating these recommendations. And one of those leading the charge here in Ohio is Dr. Steve Coleman. Welcome, Steve. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Amanda, Elizabeth. Um, my name is Steve Coleman. I'm a soil fertility specialist at Ohio State. Uh, I mostly have a research and extension role and do a little bit of teaching on the side. So uh, I work primarily with farmers and agronomic crops, um, trying to understand and um, make nutrient management more efficient, working in areas of soil health and soil fertility in general. Thanks, Steve. It's great to have you with us today. Um, But first of all, we want to give you a big thank you for all of your hard work on this. You and your team, we know this was a huge undertaking to revamp something that hadn't been done for, well, since 1995. And I'm sure our farmers are going to see a lot of benefit from your hard work. So before we jump into the research behind the new updates, I always think it's interesting to learn about the history of the tri-state. So could you give us a little bit of background on this original fertilizer recommendation that this work was built on? Sure. So this uh, predates my time at Ohio State. Uh, I've been here for about six or seven years, I guess seven years now. But um, this was really an industry-led effort. Um, And back in the, say, late 80s and early 90s, uh, you know, this idea that um, retailers that were working across state lines, working in Ohio, they had one set of recommendations, and then they went across a little bit west into eastern Indiana, and they had another set of recommendations, and then maybe they went a little north to Michigan, and I had a, a third set. And you know, realizing that there's nothing magical when it comes to soils and farming that happens when you cross state lines. Um, thinking about can we get on the same page? And so they were uh, instrumental in terms of bringing the three universities together: Michigan State, Purdue, and Ohio State, and kind of hammering out a a set of acceptable and uh, recommendations that would serve as kind of the cornerstone or the, the, you know, the guiding post of how nutrients would be managed in the tri-state region. So that was 1995, of course, 25 years ago. And then when I got here in Ohio, uh, this was, you know, with water quality concerns, with just, uh, you know, the reality of how nutrients are a major expense in terms of uh, farming inputs. Um, there's plenty of justification to think about. Let's, uh, it's, you know, it's been long enough. Let's revisit these recommendations and see what needs to get tweaked, see what works, see, you know, see what doesn't work and, and take it from there. So we started this project um, really in, in 2014 is when this started. Obviously, there's a lot of research that goes into this. It's just not something you can sit at a computer and run the numbers 
tell us a little bit about how you moved forward from 2014 to come up with the recommendations in the newest version. Sure. Yeah. It's been a, you know, for me kind of moving into this position at this time, this was a great project to kind of get oriented and meet a lot of different people. Uh, I'll say first that, you know, it was really an industry led initiative, just like the original tri-states with, uh, the Ohio Soybean Council and Corn and Wheat, Ohio Corn and Wheat, really financing a, a big chunk of the work that was done here and being kind of uh, large proponents of, of the, the, the need for this work, the justification for it. We decided, you know, from an early on, we, you know, we have a handful of Ohio State uh, research farms where we conduct trials. Michigan State has a handful and Purdue has a handful, but we felt like it was very necessary to um, maximize uh, just from a kind of an efficiency perspective, but also from just trying to cast a broader net as possible and capture the diversity of how farming is done in Ohio, right? We've got, um, I mean, this is, goes without saying, but we have folks that uh, are using manure versus not. There's all types of kind of a whole continuum of tillage practices, you know, different soil types, uh, cover crops used versus not a whole, you know, different rotations, et cetera. So we thought it was very, very important to kind of capture the diversity that we see and bookend that um, from, you know, from a, a conceptual point of view. So anyways, to answer your question, we reached out and um, leaned heavily on OSU extension and the county educator system was, were instrumental in, in this, making this happen. We, we linked up with um, some some co-op agronomists and some retailers, some some private crop consultants that ran trials, and we really tried to you know we essentially incentivized, uh, i.e., uh, paid some people for their time to help facilitate and run trials across um, a number of different farms. And so here in Ohio, we ended up uh, we ran trials for five years. And we ended up with uh, trials in 34 counties across the state. And so it's a really nice coverage, different regions, different zones, soil types, et cetera. So we're very pleased with the buy-in that we, that we got. Yeah, that difference in the number of counties that are represented in this update to the tri-state is probably one of the biggest and most obvious changes. But what are some of the other major changes that you're seeing as a result of this update? Sure. So I'll you know, give you kind of a spoiler alert where um, just if we kind of take a step back 5,000 foot view and say what, you know, what's the major changes or what what's different. So I'd say in, on average, there hasn't been really dramatic changes. You know, it, it's a bit comforting to know that um, the recommendations that we were operating with before largely are intact, you know, and have been kind of valid, revalidated and justified um, in, in kind of a large sense. Some of the things that, you know, that's not to say that everything's the same and, you know, there, there have been changes that we've made. And so I'll just kind of list a few of them. So we've really changed from the original tri-state, talked about um, yield-based goals for corn and nitrogen. So we've really changed the, the nitrogen recommendations for corn. So that's a major change. For phosphorus and potassium, one of the, the biggest changes is that we have changed the default soil test extraction, right? And so uh, for a lot of people listening, soil test phosphorus might be, you know, soil test phosphorus, how, how can that be different? But the way we actually measure that in the lab, the extractant that we use 
to quantify how much P is available in the soil is different than, you know, it's, it's changed the commercial testing labs, soil testing labs have changed how we've done that. So that's a major change that we've moved to malic 3 phosphorus from a Bray P phosphorus. And we've moved to malic uh, K versus an ammonium acetate K. So those are kind of, you know, not, I say, they're substantial enough changes that kind of point out, right? And the underlying information is the same, but how we measure them are a little bit different now, okay? Our critical levels uh, for phosphorus potassium have changed because of our soil test extractant, that malic extractant has kind of changed a little bit of that. And in some sense, we've simplified uh, soil potassium recommendations in terms of, um, they used to be based, the critical level used to be based completely on the cation exchange capacity, that CEC number. In other words, how heavy or light your soils were dictated what your critical levels in that are. We've essentially simplified that uh, a bit and just classified soils into sandy soils versus um, clay and loam soils. So those are, are likely the largest things that you know of, are of interest to point out right now. Yeah, I appreciate that simplification. You know, when we would try to do examples when we were teaching it and just provide an excerpt, then you had to have all those tables with the different CECs. So um, it's nice to see that and that it is a valid way to take those measurements. Um, there are some things that have stayed the same too. So if you just want to quickly go over, you know, what's going to be familiar to us still. The overall philosophy of how we manage PNK and the build up and maintain framework really hasn't changed. I mean, that's something that, you know, again, we can take a step back and think, you know, the way we recommend managing PNK in the tri-state region is build, building your soils up to a, an optimal level and keeping uh, soil test levels within a specified range, right? Above your critical level, critical level, again, that's our, our magic cutoff where we say if it's below that, we, we find that um, yield response to fertilizer is more likely. And then when it's above that, it's in this optimal or this maintenance range. And when it's in that, we're good to go. And we just apply fertilizer to maintain at those levels, okay? So that really hasn't, hasn't changed. Um, in general, in a general way, uh, you know, we always love to say our, our recommendations are only as good as the soil sample that we take, right? We, we underscore the importance, you know, just the fundamentals of taking a quality soil sample, the importance of pH and how pH really is a master driver of nutrient availability. Our liming recommendations, those really haven't changed in, in a substantial way. So we've looked at sulfur and we've looked at micronutrients. We don't have any real reason to, to believe that there needs to be major change to, with those at this point in time. And so those are really kind of consistent with the original recommendations. Yep. That's great information. And in part two of this episode, we're going to dig into more on the soil sampling strategy and pH. But let's start off with today with the moneymaker, which is nitrogen. So Steve, could you explain to us a little bit what the philosophy is behind Ohio's recommendation to how to manage nitrogen? So, you know, we'll, we'll start by acknowledging that nitrogen is probably the most difficult nutrient to manage, right? Crops need it in great quantities. It's highly susceptible to loss uh, with, you know, these 
increasingly wet springs that we're having with these big golly washer rains. Uh, it's very challenging as a producer to know exactly how much to put down, when to put it down, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we just acknowledge that it's, it's a challenging topic and, you know, we're not looking for <laughs> perfection here. Um, the old recommendations for the tri-states, the 1995 recommendations said that they were based on yield goals. Okay. What does that mean? That means that if you said, I want to grow 180 bushel corn, you put this much nitrogen down. If I want to grow 220 bushel corn, then you put this much nitrogen down. We realized that that's not a particularly good way to manage nitrogen for a number of reasons. Um, partly because uh, there's some really good soil out there. There's just some good farms and good ground that might actually need uh, not a lot of nitrogen to make 250 bushel corn. And there might be some ground that really struggles, whether it be, you know, for whatever reason, if it's, uh, you know, constantly wet or constantly dry or whatever it might be. And it might take a lot of nitrogen just to get a decent yield crop, right? And so thinking about it from a statewide perspective of basing it on yield goal is not the, really the best way that we can manage nitrogen. And so what happened in the early uh, 2000s, the Corn Belt Universities kind of came together and decided that they would essentially universally adopt uh, a better way to manage nitrogen and corn. And that's based on an, essentially an economic model, okay? Now, the, the, the idea between of this um, is this idea that if we, you know, we're trying to figure out every additional pound of nitrogen, when we apply another pound, is it actually going to be enough performance uh, in yield to actually pay for that additional pound? Okay, so this economic model essentially tries to optimize the return of farmers based uh, on the, the, the profitability based on what a typical corn nitrogen response rate would be and what the, the cost of fertilizer is. So you hear economic model and it might sound complicated, but from the user's perspective, it's actually quite simple. All we ask for is if what the rotation is, if it's a corn back to corn or corn back to uh, corn from soybeans, we need to know what you're planning on paying for nitrogen fertilizer. And then we need to know what you expect to get for on a you know dollar per bushel basis for your grain. And so those are estimates. You know we don't know that many times uh, with great precision, but we just estimate based on the current prices. And we can just look at the last 10, 15 years of you know how much uh, corn prices and grain prices fluctuate, how much nitrogen prices can fluctuate, right? So there's there's good justification for an approach like this. So, you know, to think about this, this model is a called an, an MRTN, and that stands for a maximum return to nitrogen. All the data from Ohio is based in, you know, it's nitrogen rate trials that have been conducted on farm that are in Ohio. So it's not like we've just averaged nitrogen rate across the entire corn belt. The data, if you go to this website, and you select and look for the, you know, the nitrogen rate, it's gonna just generate data that has come from Ohio itself. And so our update came in 2018, the main, the main update, and we've got now, I should, uh, let me look real quick so I don't misquote here, but we've got 228 core nitrogen response trials that are from corn back to soybean. That's a tremendous amount of work that's been done. We're talking about 
randomized and replicated on-field trials where we had multiple rates of nitrogen. We modeled a nitrogen rate response, and then that all kind of feeds into this model, okay? So the reality is that when, um, what does that, you know, what does that mean for an end user? If, if somebody says, comes up to me and says, what is, what's a good nitrogen rate for a corn? Well, the answer is, of course, it depends. Uh, it depends on what you're paying for nitrogen fertilizer, and it depends on what you anticipate to get for that grain, okay? And so right now, based on our corn, you know, um, that number will fluctuate if it's, if you're following soybeans, that number fluctuates anywhere from 155 pounds of nitrogen per acre all the way up to 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Okay. And this is assuming best management practices. It's assuming we're not going to have a major, you know, rainfall event where uh, we're going to have a huge nitrogen loss in the field, say in early spring or something like that. Um, it's kind of under optimal scenarios. Yeah. And I mean, with any nitrogen application, you run that risk of loss during the growing season from rain or weather, um, whatever that might be. So I think this is a good approach and that it's included in the tri-states will hopefully lead to a little bit more adoption. So we can be more economical, especially with the lower crop prices that we're kind of in right now. Yeah. And if you, if you dig into the tri-states and actually, actually read the text that, you know, that we wrote and the, the reality is that, you know, this is a, a very kind of simple user-friendly tool. It would take somebody, you know, all of two minutes to, to go and plop in a couple of numbers and, and get, get an estimate back. Is it the end-all be-all? You know, we believe it's a starting point, but there's all kinds of other information out there, all kinds of other techniques and that people are using to help refine nitrogen recommendations, right? It's honestly too complicated to kind of get in with a universal state recommendation or even, you know, three state recommendation. Uh, but we know that there's, you know, there's sensor-based techniques, there's uh, pre-side-dressed nitrate testing or nitrate testing in soil. Um, you know, there can be canopy sensors. There's a lot of things that are out there that can help us refine our recommendation rates, or at least give us information about how we're doing in our nitrogen program, right? So things like stock nitrate testing, all these things kind of exist. How do we integrate them into kind of a consistent, perfect number? You know, if you've been in the industry and you know, uh, you know, you've got some experience, you, it's pretty easy to recognize that it's very challenging to do and that we need to think about fields on a kind of a field by field basis. And it really becomes important to try to take the, the, all the available information that we have, including just you know, your general observations of what that, that, that crop, that field's been doing over the last several years. And does it, need, does it need a little bit more? Can we back off some? You know, there's a lot of resources out there that we can draw from to help make those decisions. This is great information. Um, to start off with, can you let our listeners know where they can find the new updated Tri-State if they'd like to check that out? Sure. So um, we've got a summarized version right now. Um, and that is, if you go to the web address, go.osu.edu forward slash F-E-R-T FERT dash rec. So it's go.osu.edu forward slash FERT dash recs. Hopefully that's something that we can drop in, um, you know, in the, the web address so that growers or, you know, people can, can take a look at. 
our final recommendations are at the printer right now. They should be released. So there's um, in a matter of weeks, likely uh, for folks that are listening to this, you know, within a couple of weeks from now, we'll have a, a full downloadable PDF that people can 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 download and, and read for free or order themselves a, a printed copy for a nominal fee for the printing uh, printing charges. And that's all going to be housed on the OSU extension publishing website. So, you know, that's all going to be information that people will have access to. That's great. We'll definitely drop the link in the description for the podcast so you can find that there. And then we talked a lot about nitrogen today. Do you have any resources that folks can check out if they want to learn more about really tuning in to the best nitrogen rate for their individual fields? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot to be said about nitrogen. Um, you know, I, I don't have a, a, a perfect resource that I can point to um, per se, but you know, there's a lot of good information out there. There's a lot that's been written about it for good reason. So I would, you know, I would just say that um, having conversations, you know, with with the, with one another, with crop consultants, um, with OSU Extension, there's these, there's a lot of uh, good resources out there. You know, the web has has plenty. So agcrops.osu.eu has, you know, a lot of resources as well to kind of pull from. It's a complicated subject. Unfortunately, you know, we'd love for nitrogen to be a simple one and done easy solution, but there's really no, you know, there's no one size fits all. And, uh, you know, people are telling you that it's probably because they, they don't have a really good understanding of, of the complexity of nitrogen. So that's the unfortunate news when it comes to nitrogen, nitrogen management. All right. Well, join us again in two weeks and we'll talk about uh, changes and a little bit more with potassium and phosphorus, soil sampling strategies, and a little bit on sulfur. So thanks again, Steve, and we'll uh, see you down the road. Okay. Thanks for having me. Hi, AFM listeners. We're looking for feedback on the podcast. If you have topic suggestions or want to let us know what you think, please complete our survey. You can find it at go.osu.edu slash survey. As always, I'll drop the link in the episode description. Thanks and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.